have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke 2. Music was absolutely wonderful this morning. I tell you, the music, I don't know how it can get much better. It was so great. Thank you, everyone who participated. This is the third Sunday of Advent. Advent a, comes from a Latin word that means arrival or coming. There's candles that we light in honor of the themes. And so the first Sunday was that of hope. The second Sunday was that of peace. And this morning the theme is joy. A candle of joy has been lit in honor of what the angel told the shepherd when Jesus was born. Look there at Luke 2 in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible... There are some Bibles in the pews in front of you. There also will be the scripture on the screen behind me. Luke 2, you just saw these verses in part in the video. Let's start with verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And we've talked about the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for several weeks now. Lottie Moon was an American missionary to China. Next Sunday, I'm going to share a lot of her story in the message. If you don't know a lot about Lottie Moon, a lot of Baptists don't know a lot about Lottie Moon. Come next week and learn more about her story, her sacrifice of love for the Chinese people. But there's a man named C.T. Studd who was really a contemporary of Lottie. He was born 20 years later, not in America, but in England. And he too went as a missionary to China. He was born 20 years after Lottie was born and he died 20 years after she died. He went to China as a missionary. On one of those journeys to China... He was on a ship, and the captain of that ship was known to be an opponent of Christianity. In fact, this captain would study the Bible for the sole purpose of arguing with the many missionaries who would be on his ship crossing the ocean there to China. When he found out that C.T. Studd was on that ship, that captain immediately went to him and lit into him with his best arguments. Stud didn't argue back. He simply put his arm around the captain and said, But my friend, I have a peace that passes all understanding and a joy that shall never end. And at that, the captain said, You're a lucky dog. And he stormed off. By the end of that voyage, that captain was a rejoicing believer in Jesus Christ. Stud says, I have a peace that passes all understanding. That was last week's message, that peace of God, which passes all understanding. But he also said he had a joy that nothing can take away. The good news for us is that the Bible tells us how we might have this kind of joy in our lives. Now, if you have your worship guide, take it and pull out of that worship guide the sermon notes, all right? I put these in here for a reason, all right? So when you look at the sermon notes, you'll notice on the first page... It says the Greek word for joy, all right, is chara, all right? I won't make you say that this morning, but the Greek word for grace is keris, all right? So kera and keris, I hope you can see just from the transliteration of the Greek language 
how similar those words are to one another. In fact, it's as if joy comes out of the very word of grace. Grace is what? God's unmerited favor. And when we understand what God's grace is toward us in Jesus Christ, then our joy shall never really cease. We are to rejoice continually because of God's grace to us. That's why Paul writes, Philippians 4, for rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, he said always, but that wasn't enough for him. He says, again, I say rejoice. And here's the fact this morning, though. Pastor, you may say, I know I'm supposed to rejoice in the Lord always, but I just don't feel like doing so. Now, we may feel that way because we are confusing maybe happiness with joy. The difference between happiness and joy is that happiness is temporary. Happiness is a positive emotion that we feel when something good happens to us or something good happens. Notice that the word happy and the word happen come from the same root word. Joy, it too relates to our emotions. Sometimes we have this idea that joy is not emotional. That is, that is not true at all. In fact, Noah Webster in his remarkable dictionary in the 1800s defined joy. The first words Noah Webster used to define joy were these words. Passion and emotion. What sets joy apart from happiness, though, is that joy is an internal, lasting emotion. It's a steady state of mind and heart. I like how this one children's leader, Jody Hooper, defines joy. She says, joy is the smile that we have on the inside, no matter what is happening around us. So now we kind of understand what joy is how do we find it? Well, joy is God's gift to us that is to be received. Look back at our primary text, Luke chapter 2. Look here at verse 10 with me. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord said to them, Who are them? Them are the shepherds. The angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So what is this good news of great joy? Look at verse 11. Verse 11 tells us, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The good news of joy is that Jesus has come. In verse 7 of Luke 2, it tells us that Mary gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in that manger it's just happened, and in that present moment, the angel comes as a messenger from God, and that's who they are. They're messengers from God, heralding the message that Jesus Christ has come. Joy, not just to them, the shepherds, but to all the world. In fact, we sang this together just a few moments ago, and in our 11 o'clock service, we're going to sing it as well. Joy to the world. Let's sing it one more time, just that first verse together. Sing with me. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. 
let every heart prepare him room. Okay, good, stop. I know it's hard to stop right there in the song, but I want you to stop. I want you to see that slide up there, all right? So joy has come because Jesus has come. Let earth what? Receive. If you're going to have joy, you've got to receive Jesus. It's got to, he's the gift of God's grace. We have to receive him. How do we receive him? Look there. Let every heart prepare him room. We have to make room in our heart to receive Jesus as Lord, as King. Now, you've probably heard the illustration before of the acronym of joy, right? J is Jesus. O, others. Y, yourself. So Jesus first, others second, yourself last. But there was a pastor a few years ago who made a little twist on this all-familiar acronym. He said, Jesus, J is for Jesus, Y is for yourself, but for that O, he said zero. And his reasoning was this, the number zero is nothing. And that was his point. Phil Toole said, the way to stay close to Jesus is to keep joy in your heart. How? By letting nothing come between you and Jesus. There's got to be zero there. There's nothing between you and I and Jesus and you will have joy. John 15, 11. Now I'm going to read this verse now. I'm going to come back to it again later in the sermon. But Jesus says these words. He says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants to put his joy into you so that your joy and my joy may be full. In order to receive the joy of Jesus, we have to receive Jesus. That's the way it works. When he enters into your life, you have to prepare him room. You have to, by faith, receive him in. And there are many, many people this morning, even sitting in churches, who believe that Jesus died for their sins, who believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They know that, they believe that, but they've never received Jesus into their heart as Lord. Many people, many church people, who've never received Jesus as Lord. And I tell you, there's a terrifying verse in the Bible. It's in Matthew's gospel when Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, depart, I never knew you. My greatest fear as a pastor is that there will be people sitting under my preaching of the word of God who will come to the end of their life and Jesus will say, I never knew you. I can't make you receive Jesus. It's the work of the Spirit. But you must, by faith, receive Jesus into your life. And he must be your Lord, your King this morning. Once you receive him, once he is on that throne of your life and you repent, you turn from your sins and place your faith and trust in Jesus for salvation and for all of your life, then something marvelous happens. There's a new king who takes his throne in your heart. His name is Jesus and he gives you love, joy, peace, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit. It is his joy he gives to us. 
He wants us to have his joy. He wants our joy to be full. Here's a statement I want you to remember. Joy is never something that we achieve, but only something that we receive. It's not something we achieve. Now, there are things we can do to grow in our experience of joy, but we don't achieve it. Joy is only received. It is given to us by God's grace in Jesus Christ. The shepherds had nothing to do with the coming of Jesus. Jesus came. They were there. The angel spoke. They heard the message. They received the good news. Then they went for themselves to see this Jesus. And they received him into their hearts and to their lives. And they left that place with great joy, telling everyone what they heard and saw. There at the manger. So we must receive that joy. We must receive it. That's how we get it. But how do we grow in it? Two truths. Second question. How do we grow in our joy? Number one. We grow in our joy by spending time in the Lord's presence. We spend time in the Lord's presence. I love this psalm. Psalm 16. It's a beautiful psalm about the Lord's boundary lines falling in pleasant places. You come to verse 11 of Psalm 16. He writes, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The NIV translates that verse God, you fill me with joy in your presence. As the old song says, like the woman at the well, I was seeking for things that could not satisfy. And then I heard my Savior speaking, draw from my well. That never shall run dry. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, fill me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up and make me whole. That's what happens when we're in the presence of the Lord. He fills our cup. He fills us with joy. The psalmist says this in Psalm 4, 7 of the Lord. He says, you have put more joy in my heart. Psalm 4, 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. That, that's in their culture, that bounty Bountiful harvest was the greatest thing that could happen to them. He says, God, you put more joy in my heart than that. The greatest happiness of this life, based on what happens to you and me, cannot compare to the joy that the Lord wants to put in our hearts. So this morning, as we think about how we might respond to the message, some of us need to receive Jesus into our heart for the first time as King, as Lord. And will receive with him his love, his joy, his peace. Others this morning have already done that. You just simply need to make a fresh commitment that you need to spend more time in the presence of God. 
You may wonder, why, why, why do I go throughout the day struggling so much and just not having the joy of God or the peace of God or the love of God? Well, are you abiding in the Lord? Are you spending time in His presence? We have to spend time in His presence. In His presence, there is fullness of joy. Secondly, how do we grow in our joy? We abide in the Lord daily on a moment-by-moment basis. So we daily abide. Let's go back to John 15, 11. I read that verse for you earlier. Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So what are these things he's talking about, right? He begins the verse, these things I've spoken to. What are those things? If you know the context, John 15, he says, I am the vine, you're the branches. An analogy that Jesus is the vine and that we, his followers, are the branches and we are to abide or remain in him. But specifically, the immediate context, look at verses 9 and 10 of John 15. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. All right, verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we're to abide in the love of the Lord. Just as the Father loved the Son, the Son loves us. We are to remain in that love. How do we remain in that love? Verse 10 says to keep the commandments of Jesus. Whatever Jesus has said, we are to keep that. We are to obey him just as he obeyed his Father. We will remain or abide in the love of God as we obey. Uh, D.L. Moody, in his definition of joy says this. I think I put this in your bulletin insert. He said, joy flows right on through trouble. Joy flows on through the dark. Joy flows in the night as well as in the day. Joy flows all through persecution and opposition. It is an unceasing fountain bubbling up in the heart. I like that. Bubbling up in the heart. A secret spring the world can't see and doesn't know anything about. But here's the line that stood out to me. He said, the Lord gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. So you can spend time in the presence of the Lord and experience his love, his joy, his peace, then go about your day, I can go about my day, and then not obey the Lord. And that relationship, there's a problem when that happens. There's a, a disconnect, and then you, you lose that joy because you don't remain or abide in the Lord. This is, this is moment by moment, daily Walking close to thee as we sing. Just a closer walk with Jesus. Walking with him step by step in obedience. You and I will experience perpetual joy as we abide in the Lord. Okay? So I know how to get joy. I receive Jesus as king. I know how to grow in that joy by spending time in God's presence and obeying him and remaining in him. What if I lose my joy? What do I do, pastor? What if I lose my joy? Two things. One, pray Psalm 51 when your joy is lost because of your sin. So we are to pray, I believe, Psalm 51. It's just one psalm we can pray when we are have lost our joy because of our sin. 
Many times we lose our joy because we are living in sin. Something has come between, remember that joy acronym, Jesus, zero, yourself. Something's come between Jesus and us, and that sin has to be confessed, and we have to turn from it in repentance. That's what that word means, to turn away. King David, in Psalm 51, confesses his sins, not just one sin. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he ordered for all the troops around Bathsheba in battle to withdraw so that he would die in the battle. So he was responsible both for Uriah, her husband's death, and he took Uriah's wife as his own wife. And the Lord was not pleased. He sent a prophet, Nathan, who confronted David. And David is a man for God's own heart. Why? Because he's so godly. Because he's so righteous. No, because he knew how to repent. David knew how to confess his sins and turn from them. Psalm 51 is marvelous. He begins... The psalm saying, God, have mercy upon me according to my sin. And he just just read that psalm. And I tell you, you get down to the middle, to the end of the psalm. Look at verses 10 through 12. Keith Green has a song based on these verses. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. What's this business about the Holy Spirit being taken away? Well, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would temporarily come upon believers and empower them or anoint them for service. David had witnessed King Saul lose God's spirit. He, just, he saw that happen in King Saul's life. He said, Lord, don't take your anointing, your presence, your blessing away from me. In the same way, we can't lose the Holy Spirit as New Testament Christians because he dwells in our hearts. But we can lose the blessing of God, the hand of God, that anointing of God in our ministries, in our lives, when we sin. So David says, God, please don't take that from me. But I love verse 12. He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Lord, you just in your times of prayer with God, simply say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. Cleanse me of my sins. I've sinned against you only. God, just restore to me the joy of your salvation. And he will every time. Every time God will answer that prayer and give us his joy in our hearts. So if we lose our joy, confess, pray Psalm 51, God restore my joy. Secondly, what about when your spirit's crushed? It's not because of sin. Your spirit is just crushed. What do we do then? By faith, speak, live the promise of the presence of Jesus. By faith, speak and live in the promise of the presence of Jesus. Proverbs 17, 22, this idea of a crushed spirit. He says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. A crushed spirit just dries us up. The joy seems to be gone. We're crushed by life, by circumstances, by grief, by pain. We're just, the pressures have crushed our spirits. a bad place to be. We've all been there. Maybe someone's there right now. The good medicine for that is joy, but how do you get it when you're crushed? 
Well, all throughout the Old Testament, we're told that the Lord will never leave us. In fact, Hebrews 13, 5, the Lord says to us, I will never leave you or forsake you. The very last words that Jesus said, some of his last words to the disciples, Matthew 28, verse 20b. We often tag this on to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go and make disciples and teach them and baptize them. And we often forget the most, I think, important promise in the Great Commission is this. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's Matthew 28, the last half of verse 20. Don't forget that promise. Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One day a downcast woman approached the great English pastor F.B. Meyer and she told him the story of how she had a crippled daughter who had brought her such great joy through her life. Every morning she'd make tea for her daughter, would spend time with her and then go to work and come back to her home, knowing that her daughter would be there, that they could have dinner together and spend the night together. But after her little daughter had died, oh, this mother was downcast. Home wasn't home anymore from her. She felt alone. She felt miserable. She truly was an example of one who was crushed in spirit, who had lost her joy. But F.B. Meyer in that moment gave her great counsel. He said, when you get home and when you put your key in the door in the evening, say out loud, Jesus, I know you're here. And when you walk into your home, be ready to greet Jesus as you open the door, as you light the fire, light your candle, light the fireplace. Tell Jesus all the good things that happened to you that day. Also tell Jesus all the bad things that happened to you that day. And when you lay down to go to sleep at night, stretch forth your hand and say, Jesus, I know that you are here. Months later, Meyer was back in that woman's neighborhood and he, she came up to him, but he didn't recognize her. She was no longer downcast. Her face was glowing with joy. She said, I did as you told me to do. And it has made all the difference in my life. And now I feel I know him. By faith, she spoke and lived the presence of Jesus. This morning, I want to conclude our time by reading from Isaiah 61. And as I prepared the message, I, I had my closing story. It was ready to go, I thought, on Friday. Yet the Lord just really said, Psalm Isaiah 61 needs to be spoken over First Baptist Church. Just, I'm just going to read it. This, this, this chapter is a great chapter of the promises of God restoring us. Restoring the people of Israel and us. It's the same chapter that Jesus quotes when he walks into the synagogue in Nazareth and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He says, Today it's been fulfilled in your hearing. I'm just going to read all 11 verses and then we'll conclude our time. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord 
has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. And they shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lots. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will get, make them an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Pray with me. Father, this morning, someone in this room or someone on television needed to hear Isaiah 61. Father, I pray you release captives from bondage. Father, I pray that you bring an oil of gladness to replace the mourning. Lord, I pray that you bring a spirit of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. God, I pray that you would give everlasting joy to your people as you promised in your word. Lord, I pray this morning if someone needs to receive Jesus as their king for the first time, that they would respond to the gospel message of good news today, of great joy, that they would bow their heart to Jesus and say yes to him, and that he would come in, and that he would replace all that fear and worry and concern and striving with love, joy, peace. Spirit of the living God, convict and draw. All sinners to yourself. Lord, I pray this morning for those of us that just need more of your joy in our lives. That we would make it a priority to spend time in your presence. Lord, I pray that we would abide, remain in you, be obedient to you, God. If we're living in sin, that we would confess that sin. Remember Psalm 51, turn from that sin. That you would restore to us the joy of salvation. God, I pray if we're just crushed. That like that woman with F.B. Meyer. That we would speak in faith, acknowledging the presence of Jesus in every moment. And that you would come as you promised and give us unspeakable, everlasting joy. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.